Welcome to the Expert Network Team podcast. Where our goal is to inform and educate our listeners on matters related to finance, legal, insurance, accounting, and other interests that are of personal and business nature. We hope you will find our content useful as well as entertaining. First, to quickly introduce the Expert Network Team, here's Carl Frank. Thanks, Mike. My name is Carl Frank with AI Financial Services. We work with a small number of successful families to help you grow and protect your investments and choose how you want to be taxed. Now let me introduce Jeff Cromendike. Thanks, Carl. Jeff Cromendike with Security First Insurance Agency, where we exist to build long-term mutually beneficial relationships with business owners as well as household members in helping them transfer and manage their risk. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Jeff. This is Mike Miller with Miller & Associates CPAs. We're a small firm specializing, uh, working with small businesses and individuals to help them become tax compliant and tax efficient uh, and help them prepare and manage their financial statements accordingly so they understand how their business is being run. We try really hard to make sure that we put more money in people's pockets rather than in the government. Uh, Next up, Nate. I'm Nathan Merrill. I am a founding partner of Goodspeed & Merrill. Uh, Goodspeed & Merrill is a law firm located in the Denver Tech Center, a small uh, small business, full service oriented, as well as private client. My emphasis is on uh, strategic tax planning, helping make sure people keep more of what they make so they can make more out of what they keep. Um, now I'll turn the time back over to Carl. We hope you enjoy the information contained in today's podcast and find it useful. If you'd like to learn more or desire to meet with any of the Expert Network team members in person, you can contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's info at expertnetworkteam.com. We encourage you to take advantage of a free consultation with any of our team members. Just mention this podcast when you schedule your appointment. Now on to today's podcast. Thank you for joining us today. This is Nathan Merrill, and I'm here with uh, Jeff Cromendike of Security First Insurance Agency. Sorry for the dramatic pause there. Just wanted to make sure I got it right. Just got it on a shirt here right in front of me. Um, and uh, today we're going to spend some time talking about um, individuals. A lot of our podcasts will focus on business and business interests, um, but I think we're going to shift gears here a little bit, and, and um, every business is is owned or and run and managed and employs individuals. And so we have a lot of folks that listen to this that need to look at things from their own personal perspective as well. So um, specifically, I just want to jump right into it here, Jeff. What are the most important considerations from from your practice standpoint when it comes to asset protection and and transferring that risk? Yeah, thanks, Nate. Um, I think uh, this is just a really... Um, fun topic and and one in which you know I personally just really like working with with you Nate as it relates to really getting creative and um, and really working hard for clients that uh, are coming to you they're coming to us to really try to solve uh, this this I I wouldn't call it a problem but uh, certainly a question of how do I protect what I've I've worked so hard to earn over the years and and we all know that as a as an estate grows, uh, it cer- certainly becomes subject to a lot of different exposures. That, um, uh, quite frankly, um, when we didn't own as much, 
uh, we just simply didn't have. And so um, it's really a, a neat topic and, and one that I think is great to talk yeah, about. Yeah, just to set the stage there a little bit too. So when you talk about that kind of the, what I call the burden of possessions type yeah, of thing, that once right. you start to mature and succeed and, and find that you have more than um, than the average Joe, so to speak. I mean, what types of things we're talking about? Swimming pools, boats, jet skis. What else would you throw into yeah. the list of items? Well, that- yeah, good grief. Those are those are the things that can um, you know drain a drain an estate pretty quickly, depending <laughs> on um, on on what what could potentially happen. Which so of we your can, teenagers is driving yeah, the boat? Exactly. We can we can always talk about that, but it's um, it's also the the, the value of, of the estate that, you know, we really look at protecting. We want to evaluate the risk on one side. So take a good, hard look at the exposure that you're presenting to the public with things such like as that. boats and fast cars and motorcycles and RVs and ATVs and zip lines and swimming pools. And, I mean, we've seen it all, right? And uh, we, we don't ever want to tell people how to live. Uh, we just want to make sure that they're good and protected um, so that they can live. And uh, and then there's the other aspect of risk management or risk transfer. We, we always just take a, a good hard look at what is there to lose. So there's how do we lose it and then what is there to lose. So that answers um, really the overall question of, first of all, how do we transfer risk? But then second of all, um, how much protection do do we need? And so... Um, we really, you know, like working, you know, closely with your firm and Carl's firm and, and, and Mike's to really serve clients in, uh, helping them understand what their risk is and, um, and then how we can protect what they, what they have. Let me throw a, a fairly common one, one that I see a lot here in Colorado, and, and I'm sure it's similar in some bordering states is the, um, vacation rental where you own a, a condo or or partial interest even, you're sharing it with your college buddy, you went in halvesies, you both own the, the ski condo, and you rent it out to other people through VRBO or any other of the various brokerage firms. What are you looking at there? What do you see there? Yeah. Yeah, certainly um – that's I mean, I could speak a lot to ownership and how you might want to consider structuring right, it, but right. ownership only does a little bit with insulating yeah. risk from, you know, bleeding out into your personal assets. Yeah. But Well, that brings up a great first point that I think I want to make just real quickly is just, you know, make always we always want to make sure that the insurance forms or the policies themselves are written with the accurate named insured. Um, that's the number one thing, or that's the first thing that an insurance claims manager is going to look at is um, do we have the right insured and did the named insured actually own the property that we're insuring because you can't insure what you don't own that's a a pretty common premise so um, again making you know if you are in partnership with with friends or family in uh, mountain properties or vacation rentals, things like that. Let's just make sure that we understand exactly how that piece of property is titled and make sure that it it is congruent with what the insurance policy um, says. So with that said, then let's just kind of talk about that scenario that uh, that uh, is, is the VRBO world, you know, and there's several other pla- platforms. So I, I hate to 
give any more, uh, you know, uh, name dropping to, to oh, one plug in particular. Diet Coke on another episode. Yeah, so. okay. Well, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll it's uh, the brand. It's the Xerox of vacation rentals. Yeah, exactly. So. It is the Kleenex. Right. right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So anyway, um, that is uh, an exposure that uh, the insurance industry has had to really address here in the last 10 years and um, since since these companies uh, kind of came up through the ranks. And so uh, they've done just that. Um, insurance companies have created forms that uh, allow you to do short-term rentals in essence. That's what it is. Um, there is a, a form uh, out there called a dwelling fire form uh, as it relates to a personal residence. Uh, that is designed specifically for long-term rentals. So that's been something that's been around forever. Uh, however, when this short-term rental game came in to play, it kind of kind of uh, threw insurance companies for a little bit of a loop because they really couldn't underwrite real well um, who was going to be in that unit from one weekend to another. Sure. And so, um, uh, it just I think in summary. Uh, just really important to make sure that uh, you contact your insurance agent, let them know, be completely vulner- you know, honest and, and open uh, that, hey, look, we do rent this out three, four times a year um, or maybe even more. And right. it's short-term rentals, typically three to seven days at, in length. Um, and then the insurance agent should make sure that they place you with an insurance company that has a tolerance and even a form that will respond then to a loss that could occur there uh, while a short-term rental is is taking place. And then let me throw out a couple of variables on on this before we close out the vacation rental and and just tell me if things like this are eyebrow raisers for you. Instead of it just being a ski condo, it's ski in, ski out. Does that change your concerns? Not too much. Okay. Hunting cabins. People are going to be on premises with guns, firearms, that sort of thing. Is that yes? Okay. Yeah, things can get uh, uh, a little bit more intense from an underwriting perspective when we know exactly how the property is going to be used. So, um, your typical um, destination ski rental, things like that, we can make a pretty you know safe assumption as to what's normal and typical there. So we're not going to ask a lot of questions. But when we talk about um, ranches or outfitters or um, maybe uh, properties that are being rented um, where they're uh, a little bit um, more out of the ordinary. Uh, they could be, they could have some fishing exposure or ATV exposure or uh, livestock. Even um, those are those are you know unique properties that um, we would want to do some underwriting on and certainly make sure that uh, they're insured with companies that really focus on those kind of things and and we've there's plenty of carriers out there but it's not your standard you know uh, name brand carriers especially when you get out into the woodsy woods where you want additional fire coverages and stuff like that right yep Uh, exactly so i'm going to shift gears a little bit from the vacation rental to renting if you are renting an rv this is a, a question i get every once in a while does my auto insurance cover me when i'm renting when I go on vacations, you know, when I, to what extent am I covered through my own auto insurance? To what extent do I need to buy insurance from the the rental company? Sure. And how how would you approach that? Yeah, that's a great question, Nate, and one one in which we get asked oftentimes, uh, especially this time of year as people are traveling. Um, but yeah, what what is um, standard when it comes to um, 
you know, sitting there at the rental car uh, desk and trying to determine what coverages I need. Well, you're feeling like you're being upsold. So yeah. the, the biggest question is how much of that's actually necessary? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll, I'll just say this. I, I mean, I know this, in, this insurance is getting more expensive at the counter, but um, I'll just tell you, if you get in an accident or you cause damage to a vehicle, you'll be extremely happy that you purchased the coverage because you can basically just drop the keys off on the counter and get on the plane and go. Um, it becomes uh, much more complicated uh, when you've opted um, out of the insurance that they offer. And why uh, is that? I mean, what, what does my insurance cover for me when I'm renting? Well, maybe we can start there. Yeah. Well, it's going to, uh, you know, go ahead and extend liability coverage to that vehicle, uh, which is going to cover the third party that you maybe cause bodily injury or property damage to, um, through the use of that vehicle. And, and that's then, true. Even if I, regardless of what type of vehicle I normally drive and what type of vehicle I'm renting. So if I go from a Toyota Camry to right. a, you know, a Bentley, well, maybe not the Bentley, but yeah. any other vehicle, I'm covered on liability. Right. And, and the other stuff, too? With exception to, um, like, RVs or maybe uh, heavy trucks that you might rent for okay. moving and things like that. So we can talk about that at a different time. But uh, for the most part, a, a private passenger vehicle is is typically what this coverage will extend to. Your, um, if you have comprehensive in collision on, on your auto policy, uh, here at home, then uh, that will also extend to the rental car. Um, and it'll extend using the deductibles that you've chosen on your policy. And uh, and therefore, if you cause any property damage to the vehicle that you're renting, uh, your comprehensive and collision coverage would, would respond. Yes. So then the insurance that I'm buying at the counter does what? So uh, the insurance at the counter would, in essence, eliminate you from filing a claim on your own auto insurance. So whenever you file a claim on your auto insurance, you're subject to increased premiums, right? So it would eliminate that at the very least. Second of all, you wouldn't have to pay a deductible, which your personal auto insurance policy would subject you to. So when I'm doing the cost-benefit analysis, one thing to keep in mind is if I do get an accident, I'm still subject to the 250 or 500 I'd have to pay. And here it starts dollar one. Right. So even though it may cost me, I don't know what those premiums usually are. It may cost me what fifty bucks or something like that, or more. Yeah, I think it's more like you know sometimes anywhere from fifteen to thirty, maybe even fifty a day, depending oh, okay. on what you what you choose. So it can really increase your your rental car expense for sure. But gotcha. uh, it's something to look into. So you just um, need to remember as you're planning a vacation to budget that in. Yeah, okay. exactly. And then the other two coverages that I you know I'd really want to. Um, make sure that uh, our our listeners are are aware of um, that typically their own personal auto insurance would not step into um, is uh, what we would what we'd call the uh, loss of use coverage and also kind of the a, a rental gap coverage. Uh, the first one is loss of use. The um, in the fine print of the contract, the rental car company is going to require you to continue to rent the vehicle while the vehicle is being repaired. As a result of the damage, meaning you have to continue to, to pay the rental for it. So if there's a two week backup at the local repair shop, you're renting. You're that. renting it. Yeah, yeah. It's out of their fleet. Therefore, you know they're going to recoup their business income loss through your continued rental. So that's uh, that's something to consider that your standard auto insurance policy won't step into. There are some companies that will, but not not most of them. The second element is 
the uh, the rental gap coverage, and that's really the the delta in between what the vehicle was worth prior to you wrecking the vehicle versus what it's worth after you wreck the vehicle. And the rental car uh, company does uh, certainly uh, have the right to hold you liable for that delta or that difference as well. And uh, their policy will pay that um, that you purchase at the counter. Um, typically, yours will not. And that delta comes into play because it's value once it's once any car is wrecked, its value on the secondary market is less. And exactly. And sometimes you say they don't even they don't even bother fixing it. They right. just send it to auction, and whatever it gets at auction, you're paying the difference. Yep. Basically, that's exactly right. All right. Good things to keep in mind, especially like you say, is if we ever get to vacation season this year. Yeah, but exactly. Um, for future years, for the ski vacations, <laughs> hopefully we'll be having this winter. Um, but anytime, and, and and the RV thing you say is different. Is that something you should, like, if I was insured through Security First, I would come to you and say, hey, I'm planning on renting an RV, and, and you could underwrite coverage? Or is that, because I know a lot of RV rentals, for example, these days, the U-Hauls obviously have their own kind of coverages mm-hmm. that you can get at the counter. Right. But if I'm renting an RV through a private party, I got to come to my insurance agent and figure out what my gaps in coverage might be between my regular car and the yeah. RV. Yeah, that's correct. Um, very important to read through the contract, especially if you're renting from a maybe a private owner, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a, a VRBO for RVs. Um, definitely need to um, really understand clearly where the coverage is coming from. Um, it can come from a number of different places, but uh, um, pretty difficult for us to just go ahead and locate coverage for you for that weekend or that two-week trip out west. Um, you, I would highly encourage you to, to rent uh, using a platform that typically will um, connect you with the owner of the RV, but then also provide uh, the insurance structure uh, for that rental to um, to to occur. So it would be a so the owner of the RV may have their own insurance coverages that would extend to a renter, just like a rental potentially. But what we're seeing more more times than not is um, the th- the the uh, rental company that the RV owner has subscribed to to rent their RV out, okay, and now that's the rental car or the rental company that I'm uh, engaged with. Typically, that company kind will the have yeah, they'll have the insurance or an insurance option. Gotcha. Yep. So it's very interesting. Let's take a break now, and we'll come back and close out with with classics and collectibles. Sure. And umbrella coverage. So let's take a break and, and hear about one of our um, expert network team members, and then we'll rejoin and, and conclude this podcast. Great. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for joining us again, listeners. Um, during a break here between our sessions, um, we have Carl Frank with us, one of the expert team members. Uh, Carl um, is one of the owners of. Uh, A&I Financial with um, his wife, um, Stacy Frank. And so uh, Stacy's not here with us today, but we do have Carl, obviously. And um, Carl, just tell us a little bit about A&I Financial. Tell us about the history. I think it was owned by your uh, in-laws prior and started by them. And uh, tell us a little bit about A&I Financial. Hey, Jeff. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, our firm was founded in Colorado in 1986 by my in-laws. I married well. It's a good retirement plan. <laughs> 
and uh, we helped them retire almost 15 years ago now. Uh, and it, we're a family-owned firm. Uh, there are actually four partners in our firm now with a number of certified financial planners. And what we do, we work with a small number of successful families. We help them grow and protect their investments. We help them choose how they want to be taxed. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for uh, the, the brief introduction there. I'm sure there's a lot more behind the story, but uh, in the in the uh, respective time, tell us a little bit about what's unique about A&I Financial and, and what it is that, that you really uh, feel like separates you from uh, so many other financial planners here um, up and down the front range of Colorado, but also uh, nationwide. You know, Jeff, one of the things that makes us, that I'm super proud of, we're the right size. So all of our clients are like an extended family member to us. We really know who they are and what they are and what means the most to them, their family, their goals, their relationships, their values. What, what means the most to our clients, we really know. And then we have a very unique process here that helps us treat every client the way they want to be treated, not just a canned thing that you get from somewhere else. If a client wants it to be handled in a certain way, we do that for them. And we're small enough to be able to do that. And then behind the scenes, we have some huge partners and we have enough assets now. We're a big enough firm that we can get very, very low prices and competitive research and, uh, and provide these clients an experience that's both concierge and, and very high-tech and extremely um, uh, uh price competitive with everybody else out there in the market. Great. Well, I know that's why uh, my wife and I have chosen to uh, place our portfolio with you. And so we just really thank you for the immense amount of care that uh, you give us and, and great service as well. So Jeff, it's thank an honor you. To, to help you and your family. And um, as far as this ep- expert team um, that uh, we've assembled over the last several years, uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, value that that brings to your clients. Well, the ENT has been uh, irreplaceable for my clients. We, our clients get advice from all of us uh, about all their um, financial affairs. So if they need lo- uh, legal advice or insurance advice or tax accounting advice or lending advice, they can get it from, uh, from through me, from all of you. It's just been wonderful. It gives them confidence so that they can proceed with the things that are most important to them knowing that everything is taken care of and they've got one set of eyes. And finally, it's simplicity. So they can come in and say, hey, I want to drive my car that way, and I want to retire at about this time. Can you figure out how to make the engine work? Can you figure out all the details so that I don't have to worry about it? And the answer is yes. I don't need to be the expert at everything because I can come back to you and the other members of the expert team, and you guys can be effectively the mechanics on the car of my client's retirement plan. Yeah, great. That brings excellent value. It has to our clients, and I know it it has to yours as well. Yeah, irreplaceable. There's nothing quite like it. It's a great, great brotherhood. Fantastic. And um, tell us a little bit about where you see the future of your industry going um, in the uh, investment advisor uh, world. And um, yeah, just... What do you, where do you where do you see this this um, vertical going? Great question. You know, well, I'm on the I'm on the board of the National Financial Planning Association, and one of the things we do, uh, we're figuring out and setting the direction for our entire industry. And there's two major trends going on. The first is technology is driving down prices, which absolutely helps all everybody who's an investor. And the second big thing is that behavior is uh, becoming a more and more important part of it. You can't replace. Uh, a human being with a computer so technology can only get you so far and that'll bring down the prices but you absolutely need a real human being to help you through tough times and and to make sure that the long-term decisions that you're making have the right impact the best impact for you and the people you care about so those are two big trends that are going on it's driving things to be more complex and 
and to have somebody to to be there to make things simple is a huge value and that's where we that's where we try to be yeah great well our businesses are very similar in that uh, the uh, insurance industry has constantly been moving towards um, you know self-advising mm. and uh, mm-hmm. certainly right. uh, point of purchase uh, online oh things like gosh. that and, and in, in a complex world that's uh, that's a big risk oh it's such a mistake you can make on. isn't it absolutely right i mean you don't even know what you're looking at to look at a deck page half yep. the time people are just their eyes are rolling they're like well it's a dollar 50 less i'll choose that yep exactly. what a mistake they could be yeah making. no doubt no doubt and finally just in closing uh tell us a little bit about yourself personally i mean when you're not uh, busy serving your clients what is it that you that you love to do with uh with your family and and uh just um things that you're you're passionate about well thanks jeff we're right in the heart of it so I, um we've got two kids still at home for a few more months and i've only got one at home so we're, we're sending them out we're looking forward to being an empty nester in a similar stage of life to most of us here on the expert team and uh, we ski a lot. Our, our kids are competitive skiers, so it's a huge thing for us, and sports are a big part of it. And then we also all exercise and, and, and just enjoy the Colorado lifestyle. So it's a big part of who we are is where we live. Absolutely. Well, we all four of us have uh, that, those kind of things in common, and uh, no wonder we all get along as well as we do. We sure do. We, we share similar values. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Carl. It's great to um, have your uh, introduction now a, a part of um, this uh, podcast and I'm um, sure appreciate all you do for the expert team and for our clients. You are very welcome. It's a privilege to be a part of it. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Rejoining uh, Jeff here. This again is Nathan Merrill. I'm here with Jeff Cromendike of Security First Insurance Agency. And we just got done talking a lot about vacation rentals, uh, individual exposures that arise out of the stuff we accumulate over a lifetime that are generally covered under um, our normal home insurers policies or auto insurers policies. But I want to throw a couple of variables out there. The first one being classics and collectibles. You know, a lot of people either we're inheriting them or, or we develop an affinity for older, more rare items like cars um, and, and, and motorcycles. You know, I'll even throw in if it's relevant to the discussion, artwork and, and other types of things that are rare and unique items. What do we need to be concerned about when it comes to our coverages when we're talking about those kind of rare and unique items? Yeah, absolutely. And I know this is a subject near and dear to your heart, Nate, as a car uh, enthusiast. So um, absolutely. Maybe, maybe I can teach you a little bit here. But uh, um, yeah, by, by all means, um, we need to make uh, sure that we understand that um, not all things are treated equal, um, especially when it comes to um, classic cars or uh, collectibles, um, things that are unique, things that are one of a kind, maybe even things that grow in value. Because um, for the most part in the insurance industry, um, uh, specifically as it relates to um, cars in particular, uh, you know, we insure those on what's called an actual cash value form. So uh, it's in essence a depreciating asset and we insure it according to its depreciation. And so um, that's uh, something that uh, when it comes to classic cars, we do see their values increase. Sometimes they decrease, but uh, it's really important uh, for uh, a car owner that uh, got an asset such as that um, to to make sure that it's insured um, with a company, first of all, that knows classic vehicles, uh, knows what they're insuring, um, has a real affinity to um, you know, replacing and repairing uh, these types of, of vehicles. 
and doing it well and doing it to the satisfaction of the car enthusiast because um, we, we don't want these cars, you know, repaired just anywhere. We want them definitely uh, well taken care of and, and we want to try to restore them back to their original condition. And when you say companies that know and understand those assets, you're not, are these name brand type companies or these are just special insurers that you would then go out to and bring them to the table for, for issuing a policy? Yeah, we would look to specifically a couple of uh, different uh, okay. companies that just specialize in in uh, insuring. But someone just going out there vehicles. and googling insurance for a classic car is probably not going to get connected to the right company. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest that. And uh, certainly, um, I think there's just a lot of additional coverages that you'd want some counsel on to make sure that they're Absolutely. they're on the policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, those policies also. Um, uh, allow for uh, the form to uh, uh, be written on a what's called a an agreed value. Um, so the, the insurer, as well as the insurance company, agree as to what that vehicle's worth based on its condition. And Why so, does that matter in the, in the case of a collectible classic or something like yeah, that? Yeah, well, it's, it, it matters uh, simply because if the vehicle is totaled, we don't want to take an actual cash value approach. Um, because if we were to take a 30 or a 40 year old uh, vehicle depreciated over the course of 30 or 40 years, um, regardless of its condition, um, the, the vehicle owner would not be pleased with that valuation. So an agreed value is always much better because you're now paying premiums based on um, a value in which you know you would be reimbursed for in the event the vehicle was, was um, totaled. And so um, that's, that's really another uh, great aspect of, of those policies. These insurance companies also rate the, rate the insurance premiums based on usage. They understand that these vehicles are, are pampered, they're babied, they're taken well care of. Uh, they're driven maybe less than, you know, 1,500 miles a year. We've all seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? It, Where exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the nightmare. The 68, it was a 68 Jag. Jaguar. Yeah, yeah exactly. Beautiful car. It was a car. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and so these companies are really, you know, uh, rating um, and, and charging premiums based on sometimes four, maybe six months of usage, but yet you still get 12 months of coverage. And so um, just you know, really good to, to make sure that you're insuring those assets with, with the right companies. What about other collectibles? Yeah, that's, that's good. I'm glad we can come back to that real quick because, uh, yeah, things that don't, uh, have four wheels and an engine, um, certainly aren't worth anything, but well, yeah, probably, probably (laughs) not. We could argue about that. Right. But, um, uh, that's typically going to be what we would call personal property. And that personal property is insured typically on your homeowner's policy or maybe a renter's policy. And, uh, and, uh, the, but if I have a Picasso or Rembrandt in my house, I mean, are there limitations to that or absolutely? Yeah, absolutely. We want to talk about those types of things because, uh, when it comes to collectibles or antiques or, um, uh, uh, art, um, pottery, um, any type of, um, you know, sport, sporting card collections or, um, you know, uh, just any, rare items. Yeah, basically. rare items, one-of-a-kind items, items that also grow in value. Jewelry is another big uh, category. Golf clubs, bicycles, um, the list goes on and on. Guns, and, um, and and these are the types of items we want to actually specifically schedule on the homeowner's policy on what's called a personal article floater and um, specifically state 
the property, give it, give it a description, and then also an agreed value to insure it for. And uh, that way um, we get uh, a broader peril form, meaning uh, an open peril form, um, so be better coverage and also um, an agreed value as to what we would replace it for. So especially for folks who have potentially inherited furniture and, and family heirlooms from generations, you, you would suggest potentially scheduling those out to make sure there's proper coverage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's a question we ask uh, every time, you know, we, we do a fact gathering uh, meeting with, with our clients is, is to really do a deep dive on, on some of those things that maybe even they've overlooked. And, and didn't think about if I ever lost, you know, would it be sentimental to me? Or, or would I be able to replace it? Right. Uh, those are the questions you really got to ask when it comes to those types of things. Okay. So closing out this episode, I want to give an o overarching consideration or bring in an overarching consideration. And it harkens back to kind of how we opened up, which is the pools, the boats, the, the, the things that where you can ensure the thing but how do you, where does umbrella coverage come into all this? When should one consider umbrella coverage? Why and how much? I mean, how does umbrella coverage fit into a properly balanced risk management strategy? Yeah, yeah, good, good way to to end and cap off our time here together this afternoon. But um, I, I love the term that you used earlier, which is a burden of ownership, right? And um, a burden I, of I, possessions. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Burden of pos of possession or possessions, um, and uh, I, I don't know that we really understand um, that ownership can bring burden. Um, it, it can it can certainly bring bring burden on several levels, but um, there's a responsibility that comes. Um, well, I'll just really quick yeah, before you get into that. An uh, old professor of mine, uh, when we were talking about the concepts of liberty and freedom, he's who's the freest person in the world? And it harkened back to the old Janis Joplin song, Me and Bobby McGee, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. So there's two sides yeah. of that coin. The burden of possessions, the more you have, the more you have to lose. And that's the freest right. person in the world is someone who has nothing to lose. But that's go right. on with your yeah. response. That's exactly <laughs> right. No, I, that's, that's uh, kind of where we're heading because... Um, when you uh, are in are, are are in ownership or have possession of of um, of property, uh, it comes with it comes with liability. Um, it, it certainly comes with responsibility uh, to, in essence, protect the public or or anybody that could potentially be injured or or even any property that could be damaged as a result of it. And so, when we think about um, vehicles, we think about um, you know, ATVs and RVs and motorcycles and boats and um, all the things that we pull behind boats and swimming pools and zip lines and trampolines. Uh, these are all, um, you know, basically attractive nuisances, right? Sure. All of your friends come running and uh, want to participate. And it's borrow. all fun and games till someone gets hurt, it as is. mom used to say. Yeah, it gets poked <laughs> in the eye or something, right? Right. And so, um, yeah, we don't have to search very, very far to, uh, to you know, find these types of horror stories out there. But uh, the reality is, is um, uh, the the person in possession or in in ownership uh, or or who's taken title of that particular um, uh, property that has then inflicted the bodily injury or property damage, uh, regardless really of who is operating it or or misusing it or 
maybe they didn't even ask for permission to use it, um, you're, you're liable uh, for that uh, primarily just due to ownership. So hypothetical here. I own a boat. My son goes out with a bunch of his friends. Friend is driving boat and rams into another boat. Who's liable? Yeah. Well, you, the owner of the boat, in essence. I mean, that's what about the, the parents of the, the teen? Could be. Could be, um, absolutely, but uh, uh, typically ownership in the state of uh, Colorado and, and many states is going to uh, also assume then the, the liability of that particular okay. situation. So, um, yeah, there's there's cases certainly where the, the operator has been found negligent, um, but very rarely is just the operator named. It's usually the operator. The owner as well is as in charge owner. of who's operating, Exactly. Essentially. Yeah, gotcha. it's your responsibility. So, um, so anyway... Uh, the, the reality is, is the more you own, the, the higher or the more liability you have. And so on the flip side, uh, we want to talk about protecting our, our assets and, and in essence, uh, um, preserving, um, the, uh, the property that we own. And, and so really the best way to, to, to do that is, um, is by, by, by choosing a level of liability insurance that in essence, if an accident such as that did occur, um, that we would uh, certainly at that point in time have an insurance company that comes to our defense, uh, pays for defense costs, and then uh, uh, lastly uh, indemnifies the uh, injured uh, injured party or or the uh, the plaintiff in this particular situation. And so when we try to determine uh, how much insurance is enough, um, you know we always take a look at what it is that you have to lose, and then also on the flip side. What is the exposure that you're presenting to the public? And through a series of discussion or, or a, a time of discussion around that, usually uh, we, we come to a, a, a comfortable level of insurance that we feel like we should provide to the public based on the exposure that, we're per, that we, we, uh, we have as well as what we're trying to protect. Maybe you're getting to this, but I assume you do that on an asset-by-asset level like insuring the boat you're going to pick levels of insurance that presumably cover the boat replacement and any bodily injury that can result from that where does umbrella coverage come into play but not necessarily with the boat because i understand it can even extend to things like social media and slander and just any liabilities you might incur how how do you figure out when and how to put umbrella coverage in play right i i would say uh Put it this way: not a not a single quote goes out of our office without an umbrella quote. Okay, and we feel that strongly about it because you can only purchase a certain amount of underlying liability coverage on a boat policy, or on a motorcycle I policy, gotcha. okay. or or an auto policy, or a home policy, and that's usually less than five hundred thousand or or maybe a million dollars of coverage. And so, when we are dealing with clients that have these types of exposures and these types of assets, an umbrella is bar none, the way that we, it's the tool that we use to, in essence, protect. So maybe a better clarifying question is, how does umbrella work? Right. So an umbrella uh, policy is is actually typically a, a separate policy form. There are some companies that incorporate it right into the auto or the home, but um, it is a separate form that is designed to create another layer of liability insurance that's designed to sit right down on top of the underlying liability policies. So if you have an auto policy, a boat policy, an RV policy, 
a home policy, a vacation home policy, a rental uh, home policy. An umbrella can actually sit down on top of all of these, kind of like an umbrella, and provide an extra layer of liability, whether it's $1 million, $2 million, $3 million, $5 million, whatever we choose, and whatever the insured wants to pay premium on, to, in essence, cover all of those exposures. So as opposed to raising your auto policy up to $5 million, or your boat up to $5 million, or your home up to $5 million, you'd get nickel and dime to death doing that if sure. you could even do it. Right. It's it's the umbrella that actually allows us to get to those excess limits um and uh and protect those those um those large And that's losses. usually just liability exposure, not it is just okay. liability. Gotcha. Yep, it's not has nothing to do with property. Excellent. Well that as promised kind of wrapped out our discussion on uh important considerations when it comes to personal asset protection, shifting that risk to insurance. Um, and, and we've covered some very interesting topics along the way. So thanks to you, Jeff, for for enlightening us on those topics. And thank to you, thanks to you listeners for, for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you, Nate. Appreciate you guys uh, having me today. Thank you for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed the information we shared. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with someone else and join us next time. If you want to meet with a member of the team, please contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's info at expertnetworkteam.com. If you have special topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to us and let us know at the same email address. Again, that's info at expertnetworkteam.com. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We want to remind you that listening to this podcast does not establish a client professional relationship with any of the firms represented, nor does it constitute legal, investment, or accounting advice, and the views are those of the professionals only. Investment advisory services may be provided through a Financial Services, and securities may be provided through Genios Wealth Management.